Urban Law, Dabbler 10. Storm Team Weather Center. I'm Chris Kozar. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. A holiday weekend filled with sensational sports moments, highlights, including LSU steamrolling Purdue, where everyone got involved in the scoring as the Tigers are able to cap off a season with 10 wins. Tulane, dramatic comeback to take down USC in the Cotton Bowl Classic. Biggest bowl win for the Green Wave since 1939. Two thrilling, absolutely phenomenal college football playoff semifinals. First time we've ever had that in the playoffs history. And the New Orleans Saints somehow find a way to go to Philadelphia and get a win against the team with the best record in the NFC. But all that was made irrelevant with what happened last night on Monday Night Football. Buffalo Bills safety, DeMar Hamlin. Puts a hit on a wide receiver. Gets up. Got himself up on his own accord. And within a second, fell down and fell backwards. The game was stopped. Medical personnel were forced to perform CPR on him on the field. And the entire sports world came to an abrupt end. Just stopped. Teammates were praying. Teammates were seen on the sidelines, emotional, crying. Sideline reporters trying to find the words to report on the fact that a young man in his early 20s had to have CPR performed on him on the field during a football game. In all my years of covering sports, never seen it. I've seen gruesome injuries as a fan. I've seen horrific injuries during a game. I've seen and had to cover players and write about players falling down and suffering health issues during a practice. Never seen it during a game. 
They had to get the ambulance out to take him off the field. Took him to the hospital. His mother went with him. And the latest update is that he had to have his heartbeat restored. He suffered cardiac arrest in the game. That's what prompted him to fall down that that he did and medical professionals to be forced to perform CPR on him on the field. The Bills actually released a statement overnight. Shortly after 2 o'clock, they were able to release a statement providing an update on their young star player saying DeMar Hamlin suffered a cardiac arrest following a hit in our game versus the Bengals. His heartbeat was restored on the field, and he was transferred to the UC Medical Center for further testing and treatment. He is currently sedated and listed in critical condition. That was actually at around 1 o'clock a.m. from the Bills. Scary moment. Humbling moment. These are the types of moments that we have as fans, as people that work in sports media that reminds us to put things in perspective. We get so emotionally invested into the games. And as fans, we spend our time being passionate and fired up and yelling and screaming and going overboard about what happens with our team, both good and bad. And we do that. And we tend to cross the line as fans, especially these days, with players on our favorite team or players even on the opposition. We call them bums or worse. We disparage them. We troll them on social media. We call in to shows like this, ranting about them, telling them to get off the field. They don't deserve their paycheck. They're selfish and so forth and so forth and so forth. But it's moments like this where you go, it's just a game. And this young man is now fighting for his life. A mother who routinely is at her son's games and gets a hug from him and takes a photo with him before the start of the game is now in a hospital room praying to God that her son lives. Who cares about the playoffs? Who cares about the seeding process? Who cares about the game being played? We we have these moments that happen in this business, in the world of sports, that make you take pause. That make you stand back and go, hey, What are we doing? 
Are we doing it the right way? Have we gotten to the point where we've let our fandom get in the way of things? Kobe dying in the plane crash was one of those moments. Carly McCord, who often came on this show, when she and others tragically died in a plane crash on the way to the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl college football semifinal that year in Atlanta. It's one of those moments as well. There's just a few that spring to mind. Of course, we can go back to Hurricane Katrina, you go back to 9-11. There's moments that you just go, okay. I mean, you just see the emotion on the face of the players last night. Both Bills and Bengals. Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen crying for their teammate. Bengals players distraught, emotional about the fact that once again, there's a young man on the field that's not getting up, that's having to have medical professionals perform CPR on him right on the field of play. Why it took so long for the NFL to make the decision to suspend the game and go ahead and cancel it for the night, why that took more than an hour, There's no way, no how, was there ever going to be a scenario here that you had a player collapse on the field, had to have CPR performed on him, and had to have the ambulance come on the field to take him off the field, that you were ever going to have these guys go back onto the field? There was going to be no scenario there. Why the NFL drug its feet? I know why the NFL drug its feet, because it was consulting its lawyers. The billion-dollar industry was consulting its lawyers is why that took so long. I looked right to my wife last night, and she goes, why haven't they canceled this game? Why why haven't they just canceled the game? I go, because they're talking to their lawyers. That's why they haven't canceled the game. And credit the coaches, Because reports are that the coaches are the one that forced the issue because apparently the NFL told them, give them the five-minute warm-up thing. And the coaches of the Bengals and the Bills said, no, no, we ain't doing this. The Bills, in fact, are back home, by the way. They got on the plane and they left Cincinnati and they went back to Buffalo. Now, The statement made by the NFL last night was very specific is the best way for yours truly to describe it. When they sat down the scene, they said that the game has been postponed this evening. Didn't say canceled. Didn't say it won't be made up. It said... This evening, or tonight's game. It's very specific. I guarantee you, there's some folks in the NFL headquarters that are trying to figure out a way to play said game tonight. I I, I can guarantee you. Now, what should be done 
And what I hope the NFL does, I hope Roger Goodell pulls his head out of his butt and the people around him and says, you know what? This game is simply no contest. It's not going to impact the records of either the Bills or the Bengals, who are, by the way, vying to be a top three seed, both of them, in the AFC playoffs, because this is week 17, and next week, well, technically starting this week for NFL action, is the final week of the regular season. What they should do is just say the game doesn't count. And then have their brain trust figure out a way where neither the Bills nor the Bengals are going to be penalized for not playing the game. It's real simple. Playoff seeding, playoff positioning, none of that matters. None of that matters. There was no scenario, once again, a player fell down on the field. And at first you're like, hey, what happened? Because if you're watching the game in live time, you're like, well, he made the hit and he stood up. Boom, fell down. As soon as they're out there performing CPR on them, that's probably the indicator that, hey, hey now, not great. Not great. Probably should go ahead and cancel this. But they had to wait, and they had to have the teams hang out in the locker room before they made a decision. What do we do when? What are we doing here? We all saw it. We all watched it on television. They had to give them CPR and they had to pull out the AED on the field. To use the medical terminology, that's the automated external defibrillator. Had to jumpstart his heart. That's probably the indicator for Roger Goodell and company to be like, hey, now, we just had to bring out the defibrillator to jumpstart a player's heart on the field. We got grown men out here bawling their eyes out, everyone taking a knee, everyone in prayer, asking God to save this young man's life. Maybe, wait, wait, maybe we shouldn't care about trying to play the game tonight. Yet it took as long as it did. Took as long as it did. Just unbelievable. Once again, unbelievable how they operate because they don't care. Just a reminder, bottom line as always. Once again, he remains in critical condition at a Cincinnati hospital. They restored his heartbeat on the field after he suffered cardiac arrest following a hit during the game. It was midway through the opening quarter of the Monday night football game. The game was postponed 90 minutes after kickoff. 24 years old. CPR was administrated multiple for multiple minutes after he collapsed following his tackle of Bengals wide receiver T. Higgins. Hamlin received oxygen. And he was placed in the ambulance and taken off the field some 16 minutes after he collapsed. And then was driven to UC, which is the University of Cincinnati's Medical Center. The majority of his teammates 
remained at Paycar Stadium well into Monday night. The team, including all players outside of Hamlin, then departed shortly after midnight and returned to Buffalo. Now, good old NFL made sure to release a statement. Quote, our thoughts are with DeMar and the Buffalo Bills. We will provide more information as it becomes available. The NFL has been in constant communication with the NFL's Players Association, which is in agreement with postponing the game, end quote. Well, that's great. That's great. In a conference call shortly after midnight, though, the NFL did not provide an update on potentially rescheduling the game as the league enters the final week of the regular season. How about not caring about scheduling the made-up game? How about we just accept the fact that it's not going to get played? Done. The Bills and the Bengals will have one less game on their ledger. There you go. There you go. Not only is it a difficult, challenging, emotional, heart-wrenching time for Hamlin's family and the Buffalo Bills organization, also it's going to be difficult for T. Higgins. No matter what he is being told, no matter what Hamlin's family will tell him, no matter what Bills players will tell him, no matter what his own teammates will tell him, he is going to feel guilt. Even though he didn't do anything wrong, he was just on the receiving end of what Hamlin did. Hamlin tackled him. He made a football play. But I can guarantee you, speaking to players over the years that have been involved in these type of collisions, and have had another player hurt, it lingers with them. It does. Higgins led with his right shoulder and hit Hamlin in the chest to try to avoid being tackled. That's when Hamlin got up quickly afterwards, was on his feet for about three seconds, and then abruptly fell to ground. Boom. It's the type of moment where you go, this is just a game. In all the visceral, negative reactions you have to players, where you say they're a bunch of overpaid bums and they're, they're divas and other despicable things that you hear when you actually attend a live sporting event these days, just definitely puts things in perspective to go, you know what? We're not doing things the right way. You know what? This, in fact, is just a game. And this young man's fighting for his life right now in a Cincinnati hospital because of a football play. Not a dirty football play. Just a routine, standard football play. It's unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. We will continue to give you updates as soon as we get more information sent to us. Once we find out more information online from other news services, 
about the young man and his condition right now. Once again, Damar Hamlin remains in critical condition after suffering cardiac arrest following a hit in the Bills-Bengals game last night on Monday Night Football, which, of course, the game was finally postponed. He's in a Cincinnati hospital. They do have him stabilized, but he remains in critical condition. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin remains in critical condition, but they have been able to stabilize his heart rate. They do have him on a breathing tube. Those are the last updates that we have as he remains in a Cincinnati hospital following a collision between he and T. Higgins during last night's Monday Night Football game, which has been postponed. But people surprise you people make your heart filled with joy sometimes hamlin has a gofundme page which is chasing m's foundation community toy drive it's a toy drive he puts together the former pittsburgh collegiate star and buffalo bill safety the original goal of the toy drive this holiday season was to raise $2,500. Reports are now that it's raised over $700,000. From the time of his injury, about an hour afterward, people started sharing the toy drive with other folks on social media. It started to spread, and people started donating like crazy to the young man's GoFundMe page, which is a toy fundraiser for underprivileged youth. Hour after it happened, it was already up to 300000 It's moments like those that restore your faith in humanity, where people actually step up and do the right thing. Once again, Hamlin remains in stable but critical condition in a Cincinnati hospital we will continue to update that for you throughout today's show let's transition to college football it was a big weekend on the gridiron for the college game and let's talk about the college football semifinals in particular on new year's eve for years we've had blowouts for years, we've had absolute duds of games. Not this year. Not this year. For the first time in a long time, or the first time ever, 
the final four for college football was actually worth something. It started off with the first one. TCU-Michigan. Michigan was the favored team, rightfully so. Wolverines were in the semifinals a year ago. They were undefeated. They crushed Ohio State. They won the Big Ten. It seemed like theirs to lose. And that's exactly what Big Blue did. Six or seventh straight bowl loss for Michigan under Hallball, which is a weird stat. This is a game they should have won. Michigan's the more talented team. Michigan has more NFL-ready prospects. Michigan was undefeated. Michigan has more talent. Michigan had been in the playoff before, but none of that mattered. 51-45, thrilling victory for the TCU Horn Frogs. The little private school out of Fort Worth who lost in overtime in the Big 12 championship game to Kansas State found a way to take down Big Blue. It's another head-scratching finale for Michigan under Harbaugh, who's a very good coach, a great coach. Rumors have already started to ramp up that if he gets offered an NFL job that he's probably going to leave to take it. That's something that happens every year now. But to give up that game late is a bit of a head-scratcher. And Michigan can blame itself. An absolutely dumb fourth-and-goal call early in the game. I was at the Sugar Bowl, and then it went straight into up in the monitors in the Superdome press box the beginning of that game the first semifinal between Michigan and TCU. And I'm going, what are you doing? Dumb fourth and goal play. Don't mind them actually going for it, but the play that they tried to execute was stupid. That's a coach and a coaching staff overthinking things. And then it was a fumble. Michigan hurt itself. Credit TCU, credit Duggan, put on a show. 225 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. He wasn't great. He made some timely throws. They grinded out scores, especially early in this game, because Michigan's defense was playing fairly well. Unfortunately, Michigan's offense decided it was a time to be mistake-prone. McCarthy, two interceptions, did throw for 343 yards. Michigan threw for 342 yards, rushed for another 186, and lost. And lost. They had two wide receivers with over 100 yards. But Mullings lost a fumble. They had a couple of picks. It's just the type of game that's going to really, really eat at Michigan because this is a game they should have won. And they tried to rally. 
They tried. But TCU found a way to hold on. Found a way to hold on. And credit Michigan's defense, because after they scored and made it 51-45, they force TCU to punt the ball away, back to them. But then they go four plays for minus a yard. That's it. Wolverines go down. Perfect season. And hopes of playing for the national championship for the first time in a generation. Gone. TCU. The story continues. Now they're gear up for the national title game. So after having one thrilling semifinal, you thought to yourself, well, it won't happen again. If that one was such a good classic game that came down to the end, there's no way the nightcap will do the same. No way. Well, the second game was even more thrilling. Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl between Ohio State, the four seed against the defending national champs, undefeated Georgia. They're in Atlanta. It was the third time this season that the Bulldogs were playing inside the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. They played in the Chick-fil-A kickoff against Oregon, who they skull drug. They played against LSU in the SEC championship game, who they ended up beating handily. And then this game. But they had them, they found themselves in a fight. Ohio State came to play at least for the first three quarters. This is a 7-7 game. Ohio State's finding a way to move the ball on Georgia. It's as if they watched the game from the LSU Georgia SEC title game where LSU was able to pass on Georgia's defense for a ton of yards. And Ohio State was able to attack. Tied up 7-7 after the first quarter. They take the lead at halftime by outscoring Georgia 21-17, the Buckeyes do, in the second quarter. So they have a four-point lead at the break. And then they shut out Georgia in the third quarter. In Atlanta. They put up 10 points. They have a two-touchdown lead, the Buckeyes do, heading into the fourth and final quarter. And what do they do? Choked it away. Once again, credit Georgia for making the plays they needed to make. They stepped up. They'd been there. They've done that. They've played in a lot of these playoff games. They've just won the national championship a year ago. They have a calm, cool, and collected cat at quarterback. But you have a two-touchdown lead heading into the fourth quarter. And Ohio State's outscored 18 to 3 in the final period. The fall 42 to 41. Ohio State just choked it away. Michigan had its miscues where they gave the game away, dumb play calling and some costly turnovers cost them big in that game against TCU. 
But Michigan wasn't up on TCU by two touchdowns heading into the final quarter. Ohio State and its coach, Ryan Day, once again, big game, big moments, big letdown. This is starting to become a thing with him in charge. Stetson Bennett, who's 32 years old, I'm just slightly exaggerating, 398 yards, 23 of 34, three touchdowns, only one pick. C.J. Stroud had himself a ball game. Kid can play. For Ohio State, 348, four touchdowns, no picks. Get some good quarterback play in this game. But the Bulldogs made the plays that they needed to make late. They didn't lose their composure. Yes, Marvin Harrison Jr. getting injured in this game. The star wide receiver, maybe the best wide receiver in college football. Hurt Ohio State's chances. Make no bones about it. That hurt them. But when you still have a two-touchdown lead heading into the final quarter, really not an excuse, is there? So our national championship game is set, which will be coming up on Monday. Georgia, the defending champs, taking on TCU, the Horn Frogs versus the Bulldogs. And this is an interesting thing to keep in mind. Defending national champions to make the college football playoff. Once again, this began in 2014. 2016, Alabama lost in the title game. They were the defending champs. 2017, Clemson. Defending champs, they lost in the title game. 2018, Alabama, lost in the title game. 2019, Clemson, lost in the title game. 2021, Alabama, lost in the title game. Every defending national champ in the college football era, playoff era, when trying to repeat, has lost in the championship game the next year. TCU is going to win its first national championship in before many of us were ever born. Or Georgia is going to become the first college football playoff national champion to repeat. Something's going to give, and it's going to be interesting. I like this matchup. I do. I really do. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll keep talking college. LSU took on Purdue and then, well, made it a blowout in a hurry as the Tigers pick up win number 10. That's coming up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Uh, You've heard me tell you before about the great service and the great selection over at Lafayette Marble and Granite. They handled our renovation for our master bathroom. My wife was struggling to find the marble that she wanted for the master bath. If it was left up to me, we would have probably bought marble at the first discounted place we ran into. (laughs) 
but but I wanted her to be happy. So thankfully, we found Lafayette Marble and Granite. Not only did my wife find the marble that she wanted, they were able to give her the cut she wanted. They installed it in a timely fashion. The customer service was outstanding. And look, Lafayette Marble and Granite, they want the opportunity to earn your business. And trust me, earn it, they will. They have more than just show-stopping countertops for your kitchens, bathrooms, and man caves. LMG now also has an extensive selection of custom shower builds with new line of grout-free showers. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and tremendous, tremendous products they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com or stop by their soon-to-be or now, rather, renovated showroom, which you can go check out, located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford in the jockey lot. Salafia Marble and Granite, they're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. The young man for the Buffalo Bills remains in critical condition, but stable in a Cincinnati hospital. Safety DeMar Hamlin. Once again, he suffered cardiac arrest during the game after a collision between himself and T. Higgins. During the Bills-Bengals Monday night football game, they had to give him CPR as well as monitor or administrator a defibrillator on him on the ground, on the turf inside the Bengals stadium. The Bills are back in Buffalo no word yet on whether or not the game will actually be postponed officially. It was postponed last night. No decision if they're going to try to remake, you know, make up this game. And, and look, they shouldn't. Just move forward. Have neither the Bills nor the Bengals suffer a win or a loss here. Just a no contest type of game. And the brain trust at the NFL headquarters can figure out the playoff scenarios. They're both making the playoffs. They'll just have one minus game. Having a player suffer a horrendous injury where he suffers cardiac arrest and has to have CPR and has to have a defibrillator brought out by medical professionals on the field and has to be put in an ambulance is far more important. Figuring out what happens between these two teams for game purposes, not really that big of a deal just isn't just isn't that big of a deal we talked about college football's national championship now been set after the semifinals took place on saturday on new year's eve two thrilling games we never have those we never have competitive games they're always blowouts tcu takes down michigan as they upset the Wolverines and punch their ticket to the national championship game. <clears throat> Georgia rallies in the fourth quarter to take down Ohio State to keep their hopes of becoming the first national champion in the college football playoff era to be able to repeat. The last team to actually repeat as national champion was Alabama, but that was prior to the college football playoffs creation in 2014. It doesn't happen often. Bama did it, right? Nebraska did it, 94-95. USC technically did it 
in 2003-2004, if you count the AP National Championship, LSU won the BCS National Championship. And then Alabama in 11-12. That's it. That's it. That's like the last 25 years. That's it. It's immensely difficult to do. But where the playoff games, the semifinals were competitive and were not blowouts, the LSU Tigers game against the Purdue Boilermakers in the Cheez-It Citra Bowl was not. At first, you're like, okay, the two teams traded punts to begin the game. Maybe this is going to be slightly competitive. Mm, no. No. LSU rolled in this ball game. It began with a 10-play, 63-yard touchdown drive capped by a one-yard touchdown run by John Emery. Purdue's forced to punt a second time. LSU says, not a problem. We just need eight plays. We'll march down the field, use the power run game. Noah Kane scores a touchdown, nine yards out. Defense forced another punt, the third straight to start the game for Purdue. This time, Jalen Daniels connects with tight end Mason Taylor for a 32-yard touchdown. And just like that, it is 21-0. But then LSU's defense forces another punt. And guess what happened? LSU scored again. Noah Kane, another nine-yard touchdown. It's 28-0 and a heartbeat in this ballgame. Purdue is lifeless. New coach, quarterback declared for the draft, two top wide receivers are not there. Starting linebacker, their best defensive player, not there. Look, a bit of a mismatch in this game. Defense steps up, forces turnovers. Jarek Bernard Converse picks off a pass from Austin Burden. And then backup quarterback Garrett Nussmeyer comes in, throws a 10-yard touchdown pass to Brian Thomas Jr. At the break, it was 35-0. 35-0? This game was over in a heartbeat. Done. Done. Malik Neighbors had himself a heck of a ball game. Did a little bit of everything. Former Como Southside high star. Led all wide receivers with nine receptions for 163 yards, including a 75-yard touchdown pass from Garrett Nussmeyer. He also completed two of two passes for 50 yards, including a touchdown pass to Jane Daniels. <laughs> it was just a little bit of everything. Just a little, sprinkle it all in. Everyone's going to get a chance to, to play in this ballgame. Daniels, meanwhile, very efficient, 12 of 17, 139 yards, one touchdown. He also led the Tigers with 67 yards rushing on six carries and had the touchdown reception. So Tigers easily roll to a 63-7 victory in the Cheez-It Bowl. But the big thing for them was, of course, they get to 10 wins. 10 wins and an SEC West division title and a win over Alabama in year one of the Brian Kelly era. And Brian Kelly shared his thoughts afterwards on the team being able to get win number 10. First of all, I uh, want to thank um, Florida Citrus Sports, uh, certainly uh, the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl. Uh, what a great week um, and, and a great venue. And we appreciate this bowl and um, our players um, – really enjoyed being part of the community here and 
you know, look, you get these opportunities and you want to be able to uh, celebrate your season, enjoy the bowls and the atmosphere, and then you want to go play well. And we did that today. They did that. You could tell they had fun. They were relaxed. Even with all the chaos, you know, of, of some guys leaving and declaring early for the draft and Keyshawn Butte at the last moment declaring for the draft and, and, and all that stuff. They had fun, man. They were out there hanging out in the Cheez-It display. Afterwards, after the game, they made snow angels out of Cheez-Its, which, which seems to be very messy to me. But they had a good time. You can tell they had a good time. And for all the games that were setbacks, like, you know, being embarrassed by Tennessee at home, right, losing the opener against Florida State, who ended up, being a pretty good team, top 25 ranked. They won 10 games, won their bowl game too, by the way. The season opener in Orlando is going to be a good one. It ended up being a wildly successful season. 10 wins, SEC West title, defeated Alabama in dramatic fashion. And Brian Kelly gave his thoughts of what he's going to remember the most from his first year at the helm of the Tigers program. Probably the relationships with the players and developing, you know, new relationships with, you know, 115 players and getting to know them. Um, that, that to me, in, in year one, the first time uh, here, you know, you, you don't know any of the players and they don't know you. I think our first press conference, our, I keep saying press conference, our first meeting um, said, hey, we're going to build trust, but it's going to take time uh, for both sides. And, and I think that that's what happened. And I'll, I'll remember that in year one, that process of building trust. He built the trust. He got everyone to, to commit, everyone on board, and he overachieved this year. Let's just be real. No one expected this team, not even the most diehard purple and gold fan out there, expected this team to be this good, this quick. They still got improvement, right? They, they still got to work on things. Absolutely. Make no bones about that. But this is a team that is headed in the right direction. And if the foundation season for Brian Kelly at LSU is going to be a 10-win SEC West division season, can you imagine what this team's going to look like in year number three? Remember, Nick Saban, year three, won a national title at LSU. Les Miles, year three, won a national title at LSU. Ed Orgeron, year three, did what? Won a national title at LSU. Brian Kelly may be a little ahead of the things. We'll talk more about this game, including Malik Neighbors. We'll hear from him. He was named the MVP. We'll also hear from his coach about the guy who many expect to be the number one wide receiver for LSU for 2023, the former Como and Southside star. That'll be next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Yeah, I just think he's maturing. You know, I think we've gone through, you know, um, you know, understanding, uh, you know, how to be in the, the right zone emotionally to uh, his preparation and practice where he's 
preparing harder than anybody else to, you know, flipping the switch to performance. Look, he, he mentioned one of the drops. He, he drops the ball, but he comes back the very next play and makes a spectacular play. His ability to focus and then refocus, that's, that's the maturity uh, that you see from Malik in terms of how he's grown in this past year, and I'm really proud of him. That's Coach Brian Kelly of the LSU Tigers talking about Malik Neighbors. Malik's journey is fascinating to me. Star at Como High. Commits early to Mississippi State to play for Mike Leach in that offense. Transfers to Southside to play with his friends. The state rules that he cannot do so. So he doesn't even play his senior season. Flips to LSU. Makes an impact last year. Where it was nothing but the three three seven guys, Boutte, Jack Besh, and Neighbors. And now we are going to be entering the 2023 season. Jack Besh has transferred to TCU. Kayshawn Boutte is declaring for the draft. And this is Malik Neighbors' wide receiving core. This is his. He's going to be the guy. And he can do everything they need him to do as well. He was named Cheez-It Citrus Bowl MVP. And the young man from Acadiana shared his thoughts on being named the MVP. Um, you know, it's a big stage to come out here, you know, in Orlando, in the Citrus Bowl, you know, and perform at a high level and win the MVP award. Um, so, you know, you know, three drops, you know, that I could have easily caught, could have changed that. But, you know, I'm, I'm very happy with the outcome of this game and hoping to carry on into next year. The man mentioned the drops. He mentioned his own drops. That's the type of attitude, that's the type of mentality you want to have with your number one wide receiver. And that's what Malik's going to be in 2023. Our number one in the books, our number two coming up here of RP3 and Company right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers in the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. A holiday weekend filled with thrilling sports action. Put on the back burner with what happened last night on Monday Night Football as Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin collided with Cincinnati Bengals wide receiver T. Higgins during what appeared to be just a routine football play. Hamlin popped himself back up, stood up for about maybe two, three seconds, and then just collapsed. We know now that he suffered cardiac arrest. They had to utilize CPR and a defibrillator on the field. Brought the ambulance out, took him to a University of Cincinnati hospital where he remains in critical but stable condition. His heartbeat was restored after suffering the cardiac arrest Monday night versus the Bengals. And that's what we know. 
game is postponed. It should not be played at all. Just make it a no contest for both teams and then focus on the next week. The Bills themselves, they went ahead and got on a plane and left. With the exception of Stephon Diggs, which we find out actually went to the hospital. And they weren't going to let him in. And then the security said, okay, you can come in. So the Bills are already back in Buffalo. And right now, thoughts and prayers are with Hamlin and his family and the Bills organization and everyone involved in last night. And when these type of things happen, they put everything else in perspective. They just do. Makes you second guess how you refer to athletes. Maybe gives you pause the next time you're at a game before you go after someone or throw stuff at them or troll them on social media. Definitely puts things in perspective. Because at the end of the day, yes, it's a game. Yes, they're a player. Yes, they're getting paid millions of dollars in some cases to play said game. But at the end of the day, DeMar Hamlin is someone's son, brother, cousin, friend, teammate. That's far more important. But it was a busy weekend in college sports in particular. College football playoffs, semifinals took part, took place rather on Saturday, New Year's Eve. We had two thrillers. TCU, the underdog, the Horned Frogs, who lost in overtime in the Big 12 championship game. They take down Mighty Michigan. Another bowl game disappointment for Big Blue under Jim Harbaugh. He's done great things there. He's a great coach. And they got over the hump last year by making the playoff. But then they got thumped in the semifinals. This year... I mean, it looked like Michigan was bound for the national championship game. And then they played the semifinal. And then they just had the mistakes. The turnovers, the bad play calling, the fourth and goal situation early in the game. Then they gave up a pick six. And just like that, they opened up the door for TCU and the Horned Frogs took advantage. Absolutely took advantage. And the Horn Frogs are moving on to the national championship game. TCU. Who had that, by the way? Anyone? Anyone had TCU making the national championship game? No. The answer you're looking for is no. Not before the start of the season, you didn't. <laughs> that didn't happen. They were unranked to start the season. They were coming off a losing season. Here they are, one win away from a national title. TCU will face off against the defending national champs, Georgia. Bulldogs had their hands full with the Buckeyes in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, which was the other semifinal. 
but they outscored Ohio State 18-3 in the final and fourth quarter to win that ballgame. Stenson Bennett is a cool customer. He just is. Georgia had the, we've been here, we've done this, we got this. And they stepped up and made the plays that they needed to win their game. Ohio State, meanwhile, didn't. And this is starting to be a, a theme, if you will, with Ryan Day coach teams. He's a great offensive-minded coach. Ohio State's always in the mix year after year for either the Big Ten Championship or for the college football playoffs. But, man, they, they, they had some bad decisions, bad coaching. Ohio State plays tight late in ball games under Ryan Day. They haven't figured out how to get over that. And they choked that game away. You don't have a two-touchdown lead into the fourth quarter and then lose. Part of that is you choking. Sorry, it just is. That's the reality of the situation. Georgia survives. And now they'll be taking on TCU for the national title game on Monday. And the Bulldogs are going to try to do something that hasn't been done since the college football playoffs were created for the 2014 season. The defending national champion repeating. Alabama's tried to do it three times. They've all lost in the title game the next year. Clemson's tried it twice. They lost in the title games the next year. It has not been done. 0-5 for the defending national champs as they try to repeat. And look, repeating in college football is nearly impossible as it is. 94-95 Nebraska, 2003-2004 USC, if you want to count the AP national championship that they claim. And then Bama, 11-12. That's it. That's all we've had in the last 25 years. Bulldogs are going to try to join that rare company, if you will, as they take on TCU Monday night in the national championship game. But that wasn't the only thrilling action that went on over the weekend in college football. LSU steamrolls Purdue. Wasn't even remotely close in this ballgame. Everyone got in, involved. Even Walker Howard got him some playing time in this ballgame. 63-7 to was your final score for LSU. Jane Daniels caught a touchdown pass. Malik Neighbors threw a touchdown pass. Garrett Nussmeyer was out there slinging the ball down the field. Malik Neighbors, the former Como High Southside star, was named your Cheez-It Citrus Bowl MVP. Because Neighbors did a little bit of everything. Two for two, passing for 50 yards and a touchdown. He led all wide receivers with nine catches for 163 yards and a touchdown, including a sensational 75-yard score where he and Garrett Nussmeyer hooked up. Lots of guys got playing time, including all the quarterbacks. Now, this is a ball game that was out of hand fairly early, right? This was 28-0 in a hurry, 35-0 at the break. 
But Nussmeyer threw the ball 15 times, Jaden Daniels 17 times, even got Walker Howard in there and mop-up duty, two for four for seven yards. Everyone got a little bit of taste of the bowl game. That's done on purpose. Everyone gets a little playing time as we head into spring football. That way, no one wants to leave. Hey, Garrett Nussmeyer. Yeah, we know Jane Daniels is coming back, but Nussbus, bud, just go out there. Put on a show. Throw a couple touchdowns. See how it feels. Just saying. Just saying. 63-7, to LSU gets to win number 10. What a great first year for Brian Kelly, foundation year. 10 wins, bowl victory, SEC West Division title, beat Auburn, beat Florida, beat Alabama. Yeah, that's the type of season you can flex about if you're Brian Kelly and company. And that's a foundation year. This was supposed to be a year on the struggle bus for the first-year head coach ended up exceeding vastly exceeding all expectations in this one the sugar bowl took place on saturday as well no letdown from alabama in this one they overcame an early 10 nothing deficit big 88 yard touchdown run by deuce vaughn of kansas state Good little running back he is. And Kansas State was up 10-0 inside their Caesar Superdome. And then it was 35 unanswered points from Alabama. Bryce Young, after missing his first three passes and looking a little off, gets flushed out of the pocket, makes a throw while being flushed out of the pocket. And that seemed to wake him up because then it was 15 to 21 for 321 yards and an Alabama record five touchdown passes for his final game. He has now announced that he's declared for the NFL draft, likely going to be in the mix from the number one or the number two overall draft pick. But this is what Saban wanted. He got Bryce Young to play in the bowl game. He got Will Anderson to play in the bowl game. They crush poor Kansas State, 45-20. to End the season with 11 wins and maybe build on some momentum for 2023. Typically, we don't see Alabama finish that way, especially when they're playing in a game that's not really relevant to their standards, which is always being in the college football playoff. But that wasn't the big-time marquee New Year's Day 6 bowl game that really should get your attention. It was the other one that happened yesterday. Cotton Bowl Classic there at AT AT&T Stadium. Jerry World. No one gave Tulane a shot. Remember, we asked people on the show last week, hey, because I kept asking people because I kept feeling like Tulane had a legitimate shot at beating USC. Would USC look down on Tulane? Does USC's defense, can it actually stop a single person ever? Yeah, they have the Heisman Trophy winner, but Lincoln Riley's teams notoriously are terrible at defense. 
USC Tulane. And you know what happens? That's why you play the game. It's why you play the game. Because USC jumps out. They lead this ball game 28-14. to 14, And you could start seeing people go, well, you know, Great season for Tulane, their biggest bowl game since World War II. It's a great year for the Green Wave to win 11 games. They win a conference championship. But you know what? They're not on the same level as USC. Well, then the second half happened. And they go in there and just march down the field and win this ball game with a few seconds remaining. Michael Pratt makes himself a throw. He only completed eight passes. Tulane beats USC 46-45. Takes down the Heisman Trophy winner and the mighty team from the Pac-12. By the way, since the Pac-12 went to a conference championship game, the loser of that game has lost its bowl game. It's a weird little stat. You lose the conference championship game in the Pac-12, you're going to turn around and lose your bowl game. But USC thinks they're ahead. Caleb Williams throws the ball 52 times. 37 completions, five touchdowns, one pick. He puts on a show, the Heisman Trophy winner. Yet he didn't taste victory. Michael Pratt, who completed a mere eight passes, for 234 yards, win this, wins this ball game. Taiji Spears was a monster on the ground. 204 yards rushing on only 17 carries. He averaged 12.1 yards a carry against USC's defense. They couldn't stop him even when they tried. Four touchdowns for the young man who's now declared for the draft. His draft stock's not going to be any higher than right now. And they march down the field when it matters the most. And USC's defense was, let's be honest, garbage. It's been garbage all year. And with nine seconds remaining, Pratt takes the snap and he throws to Alex Ballman. Six-yard touchdown pass. Nine seconds remaining. Extra point good. 46-45. USC desperation heave. Nothing happening. And the green wave. That's right. The two-lane green wave. Win their biggest bowl game since 1939. When they won the Sugar Bowl. 1939. Everyone talks about the 1998 Tulane season being the, the the benchmark where they went undefeated. But do you realize that Tulane this season, not only do they beat the Heisman Trophy winner, not only did they win the conference championship, not only did they win the Cotton Bowl, they also, during the regular season, beat the Big 12 champion Kansas State Wildcats. What a phenomenal season for the Green Wave. Whew. Yesterday was a good day for the state of Louisiana. That's for sure. When it comes to college football. We got to take a timeout. When we return, New Orleans Saints, they got themselves a win.
Yes, they're eliminated from the postseason. Yes, Saints fans' misery can now be put to bed. But they got the win, showed some heart. They're fighting hard for their coach. We'll talk about the win on the road at the Philadelphia Eagles. I'll be coming up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. It's like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. If you haven't joined the Rewards Club, you need to do so today. Because here's the deal. Once you become a member of our Rewards Club, you're going to have the opportunity to win great items. Score yourself some amazing gifts. Maybe you didn't get everything for Christmas that you wanted. Guess what? You can win the stuff that you really want. The great stuff. We know what you want. Because it's inside our Rewards Club. Right now, if you go become a member of the Game Rewards Club, you'll have the opportunity to win great prizes, like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort, or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, also there at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. You'll also have the opportunity to get yourself a $40 gift card to Misfits Dine and Drink in Broussard, and a $50 gift certificate to Richard Seafood Patio in Abbeville. But you can only score these prizes by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today and score yourself some great stuff. Speaking of scoring, New Orleans Saints did plenty of that. And the defense really stood out. As they went on the road and took down the Philadelphia Eagles 20 to 10. Wasn't the prettiest game. And yes, Philadelphia did not have their MVP candidate at quarterback in Jalen Hurts. They had to go with Gardner Minshew yet again. But they got a hard fought win. Burned through nearly the first nine minutes of the ball game, going 75 yards, the offense did on 15 plays. Andy Dalton completed his first five passes early in the drive, and then Taysom Hill, who carried the ball in the last three plays, including a one-yard touchdown score. They utilized Taysom Hill a lot in this ballgame. And they just kept it up. Defense frustrated Minshew all game long. Now, he did connect with A.J. Brown for a 78-yard touchdown with 45 seconds left in the third quarter. But then the defense stepped up. Marshawn Lattimore stepped up as he had a 12-yard pick six playing for the first time in a long time to give the Saints back a 10-point advantage with five and a half minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. 
and they were able to burn out the rest of the clock to win the ball game. Now, the same day Tampa wins, so that eliminated the Saints from being able to win the division. They still had slight hope of getting into the postseason, but they needed Minnesota to beat Green Bay, and that did not happen, so they are officially done for the season. But that said, they're still playing hard. That said, they're still getting after it. And Dennis Allen was asked, you know, what has he found out about this team in the last few weeks as they've been able to string together win after win after win? I don't know that there's something that I found out about them. I think I already knew. Like, I've been saying this. I think we have a tough, gritty group of guys. And, um, you know, I, I know that, you know, we haven't won as many games as we would have liked, but you know when you look at all the things that this team's been through this year, and and to continue to fight and scratch and claw, and we've been in every single game, and and we found a way to, you know, close them out in the last last three weeks. So uh, that's been that's been good to see. I mean, that's that's the type of team that I think we can be. Yesterday, or rather Sunday. They got a big shot on the arm, so to speak, from Marshawn Lattimore being back out there. And, you know, when he is on, he's one of the top five best cornerbacks in the NFL. Not having them obviously hurt throughout the season. And he discussed how difficult it was for him not being able to suit up and go play with his teammates throughout the year. Uh, it was hard. It was hard because I've been back to practice for like two weeks. And I just didn't feel it, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, I was mad about that, camping on me, saying he needed me and everything. So, you know, it was just, I got to get out there, you know. Really, it was just like a leap of faith with this one. Like, I still felt it a little bit, but, you know, I had to be out there on my team. You know, that's it. Got the pick six in this ball game, having him back. And look, credit the Saints and credit Dennis Allen for not giving up they could have rolled over they could have been awful with the win that also ensures that they don't give Philadelphia a top 10 pick by the way no once again Philly still has their pick but they're they're playing hard for him they're not the best coach team and they're not the most disciplined team and we can dissect that and we have for a long time throughout this season but here towards the end they are playing hard They are showing some fight. It's not going to help them get into the postseason, but is this something they can build off of for next year? Still got to make a move at an offensive coordinator, though. I do believe on that. We'll talk more about the NFL, including the unfortunate thing that happened last night on Monday Night Football with safety DeMar Hamlin for the Buffalo Bills remaining in critical condition after suffering cardiac arrest during the game, which has been postponed. We'll do that with Vinny Iyer, our bud from the Sporting News NFL reporter columnist. He joins us next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? 
Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Go! Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The NFL and the sports world in general was put on pause last night during Monday Night Football between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Buffalo Bills, two AFC contenders. As safety, DeMar Hamlin fell down during the game. We know now that he suffered cardiac arrest. They use CPR and a defibrillator on the field on him. Put him in an ambulance, and right now he remains in critical condition in a Cincinnati area hospital to speak on that as well as the playoff push for the NFL is our good friend from the sporting news covers the NFL Vinny Iyer joins us now Vinny good morning to you brother uh unfortunately we have to to talk about such a really scary moment not only for the league but for the sports world in general um what did you what went through your mind when you saw what happened in the Monday night football game. Yeah, it was just something I had not seen before and I didn't know what they were going to do. And I think they did the only thing you could do is just make sure that he was taken care of as best as possible and make him the priority. And I think for the most part, everyone did that. I think you had to just kind of go through uncharted territory there where you're trying to figure out what you should do with the game. And then I think also getting the coaches and teams involved in maybe making that decision and realize they can't do anything other than hope that their teammate or opponent is all right. And that was the only real answer from last night is that that's all you can do and hope and pray that everything's going to be okay because everyone out there that's playing is taking that same kind of, I wouldn't call it a risk, but it is a physical game, and it takes a lot of your body, and if you have some things that are maybe going on out there beyond uh, just playing in the game, then it can be pretty fragile. So I think that's uh, kind of the reminder for all those players out there. Cause, yeah, these are guys in really great shape in their 20s and 30s, that is a shocking to them when somebody has an incident like that. So it's a really unfortunate and sad situation, and hopefully everything will be okay in the end. But I think everyone, the parties involved, I think reacted and had the right emotions, and just dealing with those probably even more today. What can you tell us about the reports that we're seeing that the reason why the game was essentially postponed is because of the two head coaches getting involved and deciding that that the game was not going to be continued to be played. What can you tell us there? Because I see conflicting reports about that. Yeah, I, I think what probably happened, there is probably back and forth type situation where I think there was maybe a mutual understanding that that was the best thing to do. And I think you did have to leave it in the end to the, play, the coaches and players. So I think no matter what the league might have wanted to do, maybe you look at it a different way. 
I, I think the league also reacts, as we know, to what's going to cause uh, the least uh, backlash. And that's not a good way to operate. But I think the coaches, and looking at their players and looking at the way they were reacting and looking at a player like Stephon Diggs out there just getting emotional, I think they just said, okay, they're not going to be able to focus and play anyway, so let's not play this game. And let's kind of honor the fact that there's something a little bit bigger going on on the field that we're trying to save someone's life. So I think, again, however the decision was met, I think if it was left to the coaches and players, 100% would have said that we're not playing this game. Now the NFL releases a statement that the game has, you know, was was postponed for this evening. That leaves the window open that possibly they're going to try to play this game today or tomorrow. What are you hearing in that regards? And what is the NFL going to be able to do about this game? Is it simply just going to be a no contest? Yeah, I mean, those are the things you got to figure out because, uh, I mean, if you get beyond just what was going on, you look logistically, this is going to be a tough, and again, this is the secondary thing right now, but there are some things on the line here when you look at the bigger picture of the NFL that they got to figure out. I mean, that's the other thing. Will the Bengals and Bills say, okay, so we're finishing this game. We've got to focus here on DK team. This is no contest, but how does that affect like the team to the Chiefs? Maybe they'll be understanding about the situation that's like the number one seed or the Patriots or Ravens or anyone like that that's involved in the other side of this. So I think all these parties have to come to an understanding and have that same feeling as the Bengals and Bills to reach the best possible solution. So I'm not sure what you're going to get again because this Week 18 situation makes it difficult, right? If it was a normal Week 17, they would have just uh, looked at it and said, okay, we're going to play it later in the week and uh, postpone a playoff game if these teams are involved. So I don't know what they're going to do, honestly. And the one thing I do know, based on the rule book, that they would pick up the game where it left off there in the first quarter at 7-3 Bengals and finish it from there. So I don't know if that comes into play, that they're not playing a full game, but they're still playing almost, uh, I think, three and a half quarters there. So that's still a lot of game to make up and a lot of wear on these guys. And keep in mind, it's maybe a hard turnaround not just physically, but emotionally, to get back out there. When are they going to be all okay, all okay to play? Not just for this particular game, but when the Bengals go on and schedule to play Baltimore at home, the Bills got to play New England at home. How do they react and feel to that experience going forward? We're talking with Vinny Iyer of the Sporting News. He covers the National Football League. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. The NFL needs to figure this out. Do you expect some type of decision, resolution to be done today? I think what the NFL needs to do right now is just to kind of wait and, and to see what's going on with the health of DeMar Hamlin. I think that's the most important thing right now. And if there's something that comes out that there's a more positive report and he, his health is improving and, and that, and, and then you can move on from there. But I, I don't think you can do that quite yet. I mean, Again, I, the NFL kind of operates and kind of figure out how public opinion might be. I don't think you can do anything to schedule the game until you know what's happening with DeMar Hamlin now. It, because it could, uh, unfortunately, there could be even greater emotions that come out of this if it goes in, in a more unfortunate direction. So uh, that's the thing. You just can't really mess with right now the emotions of the players and teams involved from last night. 
take away the Bengals and Bills game and them trying to have to figure that out, what are some of the marquee games that are going to be important this coming week, the final week, week 18 of the regular season, Vinny? Well, we do have the championship game that's going to be played in the AFC South on Saturday night between the Titans and Jaguars in Jacksonville, so that's an interesting game. I know you look at that, it's okay, these are two teams that are not playing all that well, but the Jaguars are going to be dangerous here. I mean, they've got some marquee wins of late if you look at it against the Cowboys and Chargers and uh, just looking like a team that could make some noise as a number four seed. So I think everyone's going to be probably rooting for Tennessee in that one, either an AFC playoff team, because Trevor Lawrence and that offense and beat young defense come together, Doug Peterson. So that's the number one game. And the Eagles look like they'll get Jalen Hurts back. They might also get a break from the Giants resting players in that game, which they need at this stage to uh, make sure that San Francisco or Dallas doesn't steal that number one seed from them. So the, it's an interesting situation developing in the NFC that I don't think it was going to come down to the final week. And then it, it's uh, just a week where teams are going to start to position themselves a little bit there. I mean, I think uh, the other part that's interesting is the Steelers. Can they get in the playoffs? I mean, the Dolphins are not looking good right now, and they could be down to the third-string quarterback against the Jets. That didn't work out well the first time. Then you have the Patriots uh, having to face the Bills in Buffalo with the Bills having something on the line there for the potential top seed. So that's not looking good. The Steelers, on the other hand, have the Browns at home. So you figure they have a pretty good shot, just like the Packers here against the Lions, to make the playoffs. So it comes down, the final playoff spot, the, the top six have been decided for the NFC, or at least we know six teams are in. But that final spot's going to be between the Seahawks, the Lions, and the Packers. All three teams are 8-8. Eight and eight. How does that boil down? What has to happen this coming weekend to, to figure out who's going to get the final spot in the NFC? Yeah, I think uh, here's how it'll play out. I mean, the Packers win. They're going to be in if it's a two. Then assuming the Seahawks win. Then the Packers have the tiebreaker of the Seahawks. But if it's the Seahawks and Lions there as the winners, then it's going to be the Seahawks because the Seahawks beat the Lions in Detroit. So that's what's happening here because there's no way it's going to be necessarily a three-way tie. Someone's going to drop out here, either the Packers or Lions or Seahawks. One of them is going to drop out pretty easily. So that's an interesting thing the NFL has to navigate if the Seahawks win the game there earlier because the Packers-Lions game is on Sunday night. If the Seahawks beat the Rams, then essentially the Lions, even with the victory, wouldn't get in. So that would be an interesting scenario where the Lions are down to playing spoiler while the Packers are just trying to get in with a win at home. So that's a very uh, backdrop scenario here. So I think ideally the NFL might want the Rams to beat the the Seahawks, and then that makes the game against the Packers and Lions to be the deciding factor for the final wildcard spot. You know, we talk about coaching in the NFL, and we know that's going to be an offseason filled with change, but I just want to put the spotlight on some what I feel some really coaching jobs. I think Pete Carroll's done a nice job with Seattle, and, you know, because that roster's not necessarily immensely talented. Uh, I think Dan Campbell's done a phenomenal job with the the Detroit Lions as well. I mean, the fact that they're even in contention for a playoff spot is immensely impressive. And then what Doug Peterson's done in Jacksonville, 
as well. Uh, who is your kind of pick right now to maybe, in your opinion, deserves to be the coach of the year? Well, I think Nick Sirianni is going to get a lot of attention for this and just because the Eagles went on this run, but I don't know if the Eagles' late season kind of fade, kind of hurt them. I mean, Doug Peterson, to me, if the Jaguars make the playoffs in their nine and eight, and that's what they'll have to be to make the playoffs, I mean, that is an amazing story to me because not only were they in the midst of an absolute mess with their cooking scenario last year with Urban Meyer, but this middle this year, no one really gave him a shot to make a run. I think Doug Peterson, much maligned guy. And I think it's funny thing is it might be Peterson versus Sirianni <laughs> who replaced him. And I think we forget, like Mike McCarthy, Doug Peterson, these guys when they come back in the league, they've won Super Bowls before, so they sometimes know what they're doing, even if their teams got tired of them. And that's what happened in Green Bay and Philadelphia. So. You have that on your resume. Pete Carroll has won a title, so we know he's capable of doing things at a high level and coaching there. And I think you look at the Lions, I think Dan Campbell's been around a lot of guys that have won and coaches and all that kind of stuff. So you're seeing that. But what I like about the Seahawks and Lions, I think this is the entry point for them. Like, they don't make the playoffs this year. These teams' futures are looking bright. I would say if you're looking at the two best 2022 drafts, you just looked at Seattle and Detroit. They killed it. John Schneider, Brad Holmes, those GMs really loaded themselves with talent, key starting talent on both teams. So these teams are in great shape. Keep in mind, Seattle has a couple of draft picks, right? And so does uh, Detroit. So they have all this uh, room here to keep improving their teams. And I'm excited to see what they can do next. So Seattle and Detroit might be on the ground floor of what they're doing while Green Bay this might be a fading situation for them, and they need to get in for that reason. Vinny, appreciate your time, as always, in your insight, brother. Thank you so much. Uh, enjoy your week, and we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Thank you, RP3. It's Vinny Iyer from the Sporting News giving us his insight on the uh, DeMar Hamlin situation, what's going on with him what the NFL is going to do. He says the NFL is just going to kind of sit back and wait a little while here on whether or not they're going to try to reschedule this game or not. In addition, some interesting playoff races. Jaguars, Titans, AFC title will be on the line this week. Possibly the final playoff berth in the NFC between the Lions and the Packers are going to be on the line. So it's going to be some interesting games here in week 18 of the NFL season. we got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number two. That's next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. While we have a few minutes, let's talk a little association. Zion Williamson had 26.6 rebounds, seven assists, but wasn't enough in a 120-111 loss at the Philadelphia 76ers last night. Joel Embiid is a monster, 42 points, 11 rebounds. But more importantly than the fact that the Pels dropped a game is the fact late in the ball game, Zion came up gimpy. Looks like a hamstring. We'll get more of an update on that today. But the big fella came up a little gimpy there at the end. It appears to be some sort of hamstring issue. 
We'll get an update today, but the Pels fall 120 to 111. And something interesting about the Pelicans, as good as the season's been for them, as great of a start as it's been for them, rather, they're 7 and 10 away from the Smoothie King Center. Got to become a better road team if you want to make a deep playoff run. That's just, those are the rules. I don't make them up, those are just the rules. I'm just saying. Also, of note, Donovan Mitchell, the former Utah Jazz star who's now with the Cleveland Cavaliers, um, he scored 71 points. So there you go. <laughs> 71 point performance for Spider as he leads the Cavs to a 145 134 overtime win over the Chicago Bulls. First 70 point game we've had in the NBA since Kobe Bryant did it. So congratulations to Spider on that great accomplishment. We got to take a timeout. Hour number two is in the books. Hour number three coming up. We'll kick it off with Jim Gazzolo as we talk McNeese sports with him. Men's basketball team got a big win over the weekend. We'll talk about it next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and World Series champion Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We continue to monitor the situation with Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin, who suffered cardiac arrest during the Monday night football game between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Buffalo Bills. We know that they administrated CPR and a defibrillator on him. The medical staff did before putting him in an ambulance and taking him to an area Cincinnati hospital where he remains in critical condition. They have somewhat stabilized him and they had to restore his heartbeat during the game while he was on the field. And we'll keep monitoring that situation. We also, instead of a poll question of the day today, we decided to do something else. And if you'd like to help by liking and sharing the post and maybe even making a donation, you can. Uh, Damar Hamlin has a GoFundMe page for a toy drive that he's associated with. He raises money to donate toys to children. And it started building up some steam where people started sharing it last night following his injury and following him being taken to the hospital. They have now raised millions of dollars. If you'd like to take part in that as well, we shared it on our social media platforms, the link to go make a donation to Damar Hamlin's charity, which helps give toys to underprivileged children. So instead of a poll question of the day, that's what we opted with today. It's time for us, though, to bring on our second guest. We've already talked NFL when we brought in Vinny Iyer onto the show earlier. Now it's time for us to switch over to the college ranks and talk McNeese athletics with the man who covers the McNeese Cowboys for the Lake Charles American Press. He's also the host of the McNeese Coaches Show and Poke Nation. It's our good friend, 
Jim Gazzolo joins us now. Jim, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Tough. It's a tough day for the sports world. Yeah, it, 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 it's a it, it's a tough thing, right? It, it, it's a tough thing. Uh, I do want to get your insight on this because you've covered sports for quite a long time before you arrived in Lake Charles and uh, all those years ago. You've worked everywhere from covering the Chicago Bears to spending many years covering Los Angeles area sports, both pro and college. Uh, have you ever seen anything quite like what we saw in the Monday night football game last night? Uh, actually, unfortunately, I have. Um, when I was in Los Angeles, uh, I was covering a race at the um, Fontana California Speedway, uh, and a driver on the 10th lap named Greg Bohr uh, got into an accident, um, was airlifted from the track, and uh, died during, actually died during the race. And you quickly go from writing sports to writing news and putting everything into perspective very quickly. Um, and it, it's it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing to watch. Uh, and it, it stays with you for a while to understand what actually happens and what things go through. And it puts a lot of things into perspective. I know a lot of people are talking about should the game be played that I was like, uh, I don't think that really matters right now. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I've seen it up close. It also reminded me of Dale Earnhardt, right, when the Intimidator sure. hit the wall. And you just kind of like, oh, you know, it, it just kind of make everyone um, hold their breath. Let me ask you this. You, you've covered everything, right? You've covered Rose Bowl. You've covered Super Bowls. You've covered NFL, sure. NBA, and everything. What should the NFL do here? With the game. Well, that's 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 a tough call for them because it is such an important game to me. Um, with the NFL's former image in that, I think they almost have to say it's a tie game and move on. Um, both teams are going to make the playoffs, but there is playoff implications. I don't know what you do because it was a Monday night game. You can't. I I think it would be really hard to have a quality game and play it today. And if you don't play it today. You can't ask these guys who are going to playoffs to play Wednesday, Sunday. So you're almost backed up in the time. I don't know what they're, I don't know if they have a protocol, um, but you start, you know, I've heard people say, we'll play it the week after the season. Well, now you're into a strange time of you've got advertisers, you've got things spent, you've got, there's a lot of things going into it. I just think the easiest thing would be just about a tie. Call a tie or just no contest, right? I mean, that'd be the- a no contest and, and, and put it as a tie in the uh, standings. Yeah, I'd do a no contest. We'll see what the NFL does because I did find their phrasing of it all to be very interesting. Uh, uh, postpone for this evening. Um, I was like, oh. Well, I thought it went from suspended, which would be a 7 3 score whenever we start. Correct. Postponed, if you go by baseball, that's a no game. It, that would be a whole new game. So, I I don't know how Buffalo is going to be anyway. Um, Correct. They've they've had such a wild, uh, turbulent, tra- tragic month and a half here with the game moved from Buffalo, the early flight to Chicago because of a snowstorm to this now. Uh, I I don't know. I I don't know how you. I, 
I don't know how you go back on the football field when you see that in front of you. That's a, that's unprecedented. It is. I mean, we, we've seen severe injuries before. We've you know seen Lawrence Taylor in Joe Theismann's career, right on Monday Night sure. Football. I mean, we we've seen these type of things before, but but nothing quite like this where he makes the play, he stands back up, he looks to be okay, and then all of a sudden he just collapses, and we have yeah. EMTs on the field performing CPR and getting a defibrillator out. Um, it's just it's going to be immensely interesting what goes how the NFL deals with that and how the Bills deal with that moving forward. We're talking with Jim Gazzolo of the Lake Charles American Press. He covers the McNeese Cowboys. He's also the host of the McNeese Coaches Show right here on the game. All right, Jim, let's switch over to the Cowboys. They begin conference play over the holiday weekend. Uh, They face off against a Lamar team who they already defeated in their little mini tournament that they held earlier in the season. What stood out to you more than anything about John Aiken's club and what they were able to do in their opener against Lamar? The fact that they moved the basketball, uh, the fact that they they passed it well, they played unselfish, um, they went real small. They've gone small now for a while. They've played better. Uh, Aiken said earlier in the week, <clears throat> leading up to the game, that he's fighting two demons. One is he rebounds the ball very well, but he can't turn the but he turns the ball over all the time. So he went with a lineup that will not turn the ball over. And he questioned his rebounding, and then they out-rebounded a much taller Lamar team. So that really is impressive. Uh, the fact that they held their tempo, the fact that they held the ball, um, and they, they seem to play together, I think, were all things that we had not seen consistently for the first part of the year. They led by 30 at one point, Raymond, and that's, uh, I think that was impressive. Uh, they did. They just, you know, rolled up on them. It's a good way to start conference play for them and they'll try to keep that going against a very good Northwestern State team on Thursday night when they start having a couple of their conference games there inside the Legacy Center uh, what's going to be the biggest challenge is that a appears to be a very good Northwestern State Demons team is going to present well I, I think inside again because if you're going to go small Northwestern State's going to be larger uh, they don't shoot the ball particularly great Northwestern State, but they can get hot at times. Uh, they're a completely new program with a new coach, three new really quality players that he brought with him. So it's an unknown, uh, and they're going to be smart a little bit because they had a re- Northwestern State had a really good pre pre league, and then lost to uh, one of the favorites, if not the favorite, Corpus Christi, to begin the term. Um, the, the league play on Saturday at home in overtime. So they're going to come and have to play. And uh, there's going to be a lot of hype with the Joe Dubars naming of the court. So McNeese has to be ready to play. We haven't always seen that. They haven't always come out and played well to start games. So they better do that this week. You know, we got to catch up with Joe Dumars yesterday. He had a nice little Zoom call. Of course, you were part of that, and as was I. And we're going to share those clips with everyone on tomorrow's show as we gear up for Joe Dumars Day, where they're going to be naming the court after him, and you're going to have a special ceremony for Thursday night's game. What what stood out to you from what Joe had to say about him being honored and him having the court named after him, and his relationship with McNeese moving forward? Well, that 
that's the interesting thing. He has he has not been. And there's a lot of reasons for it. He has not been a huge part of McNeese basketball. Um, but I thought what was interesting is he, he mentioned how this relationship kind of organically, he called it, goes with him and he, Schwer. And I know that Schwer reached out to him when he got the job as a head coach and asked for advice, asked him what it would take to win at McNeese, um, things like that, so that he didn't pressure him into being a part of it and this is kind of built up to this. And now I think moving forward, the university has a chance to really kind of latch on to its greatest player and go forward with a relationship that they hadn't had before. And I think uh, Joe especially seems interested in doing that if it's done the right way. Yeah, you could tell when we talked to him that there was a little trepidation, right? Like, like you can tell that Heath... Troyer has worked on this relationship between Joe and the university. I mean, once again, this is someone who was a multiple all-star NBA finals MVP, two-time world champion, Naismith basketball hall of famer, Louisiana sports hall of famer, and a guy who as a front office executive led the Pistons to yet another world title. So this is someone that should have had a great relationship with his alma mater. uh, And his wife, as we found out is a McNeese grad. That's where they met. She's from, you know, the area, right. She's from Lake Charles. She went to McNeese. I was surprised that he, I mean, Joe's always been pretty forthcoming, but I was surprised by, he kind of, kind of revealed a little bit that it hasn't always been there. And if things go well and things are done the right way, he has no problems having a relationship with his alma mater. I was kind of surprised that 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 relationship really wasn't there. Well, I think that uh, knowing a little bit of the background, as I unfortunately do sometimes, if I know too much, maybe, um, they were requests made of him financially without really much else, without much of a contact. It was just kind of a help us out type situation. You, you kind of almost like he, he deserved or they deserved his attention without really having a relationship. Uh, there was also the fact that his brother was an assistant coach here and was part of the staff that got fired. Um, so that there's, they've never, McNeese has never handled a lot of things the right way until recently. Can I say it that clearly? There you go. Um, That's honest. And this is part of the whole he Shore, Dr. Burkell, uh, way of handling and moving forward and, and being not only with Joe Dumars, but you see this with their relationship with the city of Lake Charles, um, with their leadership role in the Southland Conference. There's an embracing and being a part of that was never before and welcoming people back into the family as part of it. Correct. And it's Heath has done a very nice job of that. And, and, and look, it's it's part of the game, and especially for a school that size and a conference, and you know, in that conference at that level of college athletics, having great relationships with your best players is a very important thing. And we're starting to see some inroads being made too with the football players as well. We know Gary Golf had yeah. some former stars come in and talk to the team as well. That hasn't always been the case as well, right? So they're making a conscious effort. What do you expect the crowd to be like? on Thursday as its greatest player is honored with the court being named after him? 
I would have liked to. I wish this could have been done when students were around more because we're out of classes. But I think it'll be a good crowd. I think he will bring a lot of people to see him. I think there's also a lot of people that are still connected to him in town. He has a lot of friends that are still here. Um, so I think it'll be a, a, a good-sized crowd. Um, I don't know if it'll be a sellout or not. I'll, I'll check on that later on today to see how they're doing. But I, I think there's enough interest in him. And if you hear the stories uh, of when he played, um, he played. He didn't even play at Burton Coliseum. He played at the Civic Center downtown. Yep. Played downtown. Um, yeah. There, there's fights in the crowds for the last uh, seat. That's how crowded it was. That's how much interest there was, uh, especially when he played the Lamars, as he referred to them as USL, because he'll never call them Lafayette, uh, and uh, Carl Malone of Louisiana Tech. I thought the interesting thing I've learned over all this is Dumars, when Joe came, he almost brought Carl Malone with him. <laughs> yeah, Malone's actually second choice was McNeese. McNeese, and, and how would that have changed the direction of everything? Um, but I, I think that it, from, from talking to Joe over the last couple of times, I've talked to him, and a couple of things he's done outside of that here is this is really Schwer's project to upgrade the look of McNeese with the old players in every sport. Because he understands, and we know, I mean, he, he, he could sell ice, you know, on a frozen day, on a frozen pond to somebody because that's what he does. But he's also very genuine of the fact that he's passionate about what he does. And he sees this as a path to helping the university, helping the athletic program, and helping Joe Dumars in ways because now he will always be recognized as McDeese. Correct, because I was, you know, it's surprising how many people don't even realize that Joe D actually played at McNeese. I, I he used, to, I mean, the younger generation doesn't even know that. So no. this is this is a way to kind of remind people of that. Uh, Jim, appreciate your time, uh, Bud. Obviously, tomorrow night will be the McNeese Coaches Show, six to seven, heard right here on our airwaves, one zero three seven Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Chuck. Who you got lined up? What what you going to be talking about this week, brother? Well, we're going to be talking Joe Dumars, obviously. Um, I got Ron Hayes, who broadcasts McNeese State basketball for 44 years. And he's going to give us kind of the state of where it is now, but also where it was and where it could be again, uh, and tell us some Joe Dumars stories of his days at the Civic Center, of fights in the crowd for the last seats, and long bus rides to Jonesboro, Arkansas. (laughs) <laughs> yes yes that is not a short trip for anyone and i don't care where you're at it's not a short trip if you even live in north of louisiana uh jim appreciate your time as always brother enjoy uh this week's mean east coaches show and we'll talk to you next week bud all right we'll talk to you later Robert. we gotta take a timeout but more of the game southwest louisiana sports station coming up right here we're your home for the LSU Tigers of the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Want to join in the discussion with RP3? Then just give us a call on the hotline. You know the number. 2-4-9-5-6-7-8. I can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a niner in there? Were you calling from a walkie-talkie? No need to be embarrassed. Just call us at 337-706-0111. 
Back to more RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Coming up less than seven minutes from right now, our friend Scott Rabelais from The Advocate will join us, the award-winning columnist, as we'll get his thoughts on the LSU football program, going down there and giving the Purdue Boilermakers an absolute beat, beating, just an absolute beating down in Orlando. And where does this team go from here, knowing some of the positions that they're going to have to fill? Who does he think? is going to step up and what does he make of the quarterback situation as well we'll get rab's thoughts on all of that coming up in about five to six minutes from right now once again this is where we stand with the latest on what's going on with buffalo bill safety damar hamlin he remains in stable but critical condition in a cincinnati hospital once again last night during the monday night football contest a possible AFC Championship game preview between the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals. Hamlin went in to tackle T. Higgins, the Cincinnati wide receiver. Higgins put his shoulder down. They collided. In real time, it didn't seem to be that big of a deal. In real time, it seemed like to be a routine football play. And Hamlin himself even popped up after the play, stood there for about two to three seconds, but then all of a sudden he just collapsed. EMTs and medical personnel on site came out and gave Hamlin CPR. They also used a defibrillator and were able to restore his heartbeat. But they had to put him in an ambulance and take him to a hospital. Now, they've given him a breathing tube, as we've also found out in the hours since then. He's in stable but critical condition. So prayers and thoughts out to his family, the Buffalo Bills organization, and everyone involved in the game. And you could tell how emotional it was for everyone involved. Tears being shed by the players, everyone in prayer. The NFL finally went from having the game suspended to being postponed. We heard Vinny Iyer earlier from the Sporting News say, He expects the NFL to kind of sit back and monitor the situation with Hamlin to be respectful, not to make a decision here. The most likely decision should be just as what Jim Gazzolo told us, our friend from the Lake Charles American Press, just have it be a tie. No contest, tie. Put it in the standings as a tie and move on. And Buffalo is going to have to gear up for a game against the Patriots with the Patriots fighting to get into the playoffs this coming week. How are they going to react to that? I mean, I can only imagine. To see your teammate just fall down on the field and then have to have CPR done on him and have a defibrillator pulled out to save his life on a football field? Can you even get past that? How can you get past that? It's all uncharted territory here. In lieu of a poll question of the day today here in RP3 and Company, we opted to kind of 
help pay it forward right here. Damar Hamlin has a fundraiser, a GoFundMe, the Chasing M's Foundation Community Toy Drive. is something that he's passionate about in his native Pennsylvania. He played his college ball at Pittsburgh. This has gone viral with so many people donating money, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and now his charity has had millions of dollars donated. If you want to do something, in addition to keeping DeMar Hamlin and his family in your thoughts and prayers, if you want to do something else, we've shared the link on our social media profiles today in honor of him that you can go ahead and share as well on your own social media profiles to help spread the word, to help have people help out and make a donation to DeMar Hamlin's charity, which helps distribute toys to underprivileged youths in his hometown there in Pennsylvania. We had to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, Scott Rabelais from the Baton Rouge Advocate will join us to talk LSU's Cheez-It Citrus Bowl domination over the Purdue Boilermakers and more. That's going to be next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The LSU Tigers capped off a great foundation season in year one of Brian Kelly's tenure as they get win number 10 in uh, dominating fashion, just beating the brakes off the Purdue Boilermakers. 10 wins, SEC West title, beat Auburn, beat Florida, beat Alabama. That's a heck of a year one for Brian Kelly. To put it in perspective for us is our third and final guest today on RP3 and Company. He's the award-winning columnist for the Baton Rouge Advocate. Our good friend, Scott Rabelais. Rabs, good morning, brother. How are you, my friend? Good morning, Ray. I'm good. <laughs> All Happy right. New Year. We, thank you. Happy New Year to you, too, brother. Look, we knew that Purdue was going to be without some guys, right? You know, new coach, quarterback was not going to play, a couple wide receivers weren't going to play, and we knew LSU was favored. I don't think anyone was expecting that type of performance, though, inside a Camping World Stadium yesterday in Orlando. Uh, put it into words. What did you see firsthand? Yeah, I mean, LSU just completely outclassed them. And, like, both teams were, were dealing with opt-outs and uh, a couple of injuries. Uh, Josh Williams didn't play for LSU running back. He's had knee surgery. He didn't even make the trip. Then uh, the uh, – the center, uh, Charles Turner, went out uh, in the first half, and they had to put like, Marlon Martinez in there. I, I thought I thought LSU would win and win comfortably, but I thought Purdue would probably you know, try to you know rely on the running game. It had, it had a pretty decent running game, and uh, would would try to you know make some make some yards that way against LSU's uh, defensive front, which uh, you know every starter who started the season is gone. You know. Uh, including Mason Smith, who who is coming back next year, but he obviously hadn't played since the Florida State game. So I thought they'd be pretty vulnerable there, and uh, just to every, in just about every way, LSU looked faster and and I was always bigger, but I mean, but I mean, they just looked more physical than uh, than Purdue. 
And of course, the big difference was, you know, at quarterback, you know, Austin Burton uh, had only thrown 32 passes all year. Uh, the backup, uh, as you said, their, their starting quarterback had, had uh, opted out. And then uh, you know, the big advantage for LSU when they put with Jaden Daniels returning from from an ankle injury, he looked fresh. And then Garrett Nussmeyer, when they put him in, he looked good. And and uh, Malik Neighbors also looked good throwing the ball. So uh, it was uh, just uh, uh, as big a mismatch as you could imagine. I, th- I thought LSU would, like I said, win win pretty convincingly. I had him like winning thirty four seventeen. But uh, you couldn't, you can't predict that kind of game. You know where LSU you know, matches the most points they ever scored in, in a postseason game and uh, wins by the biggest uh, margin ever won a bowl. LSU, the biggest bowl margin of victory for LSU in a bowl was uh, 37 points. They beat Miami 40 to three in the 2005 Peach Bowl, and uh, that was a matchup of top 10 teams. So that was that was very really impressive. But this one was uh, you know much bigger than that, and the disparity was much bigger than that too between the two teams. And that was also the same Peach Bowl where there was some pushing and shoving between the two teams, if I yeah. remember properly. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, Jane Daniels was was very efficient, like he's been for the most of the season. He even caught a touchdown pass from Malik Neighbors. And look, he, he didn't need to play the full game, didn't need him to, right? But as efficient as he is, when Nussmeyer gets into a game, there is a level of electricity when he plays, Rab. And, and look, he's going he's gonna to throw a ball that he shouldn't throw. <laughs> every single time there's going to be a couple of those where you go oh Nussmeyer what you doing but the guy can throw the deep ball he is electric what do you make of them playing both of those quarterbacks and letting both of them essentially split reps in the game well it was very interesting it was almost like you know, Brian Kelly said okay, I have a quarterback controversy but it's almost like he was trying to have a quarterback controversy in this game you know because uh uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there, you know, there, there's been a surprising, I guess I shouldn't be too surprised, split among LSU fans since Daniels announced that he was coming back. That oh, Daniels is coming back. Like you know, some of these people, I, I don't know what you want. Oh no, our, our starting quarterback's leaving. Oh no, our starting quarterback's coming back. I mean, come on, man. I mean, you know, this is what you want. You know, and and this is what uh you know he's got all the experience and everything like they're two very different guys right i mean that's where has some mobility but daniels is the is the dual threat and uh, obviously you could you know if they're leading rusher this year they're leading rusher in yesterday's game too um and but nussmeyer has the better arm daniels will do a better job taking care of the ball in in general of course people will say ah what about the the, the fumble that led to the scoop and score against texas and yes that was a huge mistake and and uh, you know that's that's going to happen. I remember I remember the great Joe Burrow throwing a pick six in the Fiesta Bowl that he got clocked on. You know, so yep. it does it does happen. Uh, and, but Nussmeier is generally speaking going to take more chances. And I mean, the, the kid the, yeah, he's he has no fear. I mean, you know, when he passes the ball, he thinks he can complete every pass. And uh, and and LSU, yeah, you can see it. It opens up things. Kelly said. Uh, uh, they said on the radio uh, during the game that uh, it was uh, you know they, they figured Purdue was going to try to defend them in a certain way. They you know brought in Nussmeier. The plan was, was as they did, bring him in on the third series, kind of loosen things up, and it proved to be very effective. So they give you very different things, and uh, I guess it comes down to what do you want most from your offense. I, I, I imagine Brian Kelly is the kind of coach who values taking care of the ball. And is willing to give up a little bit of the, the you know the long passing game. 
<laughs> I, mean, I go to real old school. It's it's a little it's a little like the Dallas Cowboys with Roger Staubach and Clint Longley, right? Clint Longley Ooh. was the bad bomber. You know, it's a little of that. You know, with with uh, with, with these two guys, but it's very very different. And um, it, you know, uh, uh, Kelly says I think I think all three will have all three quarterbacks going into next season. Uh, I. I don't know. I, you know, we'll see what happens after the spring if Garrett Nussmeier feels like he has a shot. Obviously, they want to keep them. And, of course, then you have Walker Howard, who also played because the redshirt rule. He did not lose their minds, anyone. I hope people do know that. Uh, you know, the NCAA is to a new redshirt rule where you can play in the bowl game and, and not um, not lose your redshirt because of all the opt-outs, which I think is a very good rule. I, I think uh, of all the laissez-faire attitudes the NCAA has adopted, I think that's one of the, one of the better – changes in the so uh walker howard will stay you know because he at the most he's going to say like i need to be an apprentice one more year if, if garrett leaves and then i'll be the starting quarterback so um he's also a legacy right he's also a legacy with his dad so sure yeah, sure that right. helps that, too but uh all i guess again all the quarterbacks have something that commend them uh, you know both especially both those guys and it's just a matter of what they want and what they're looking for in a quarterback going into 2023 there are worse situations to have uh, you know, going into the next season. Oh, absolutely. And you, you do know, and you, you look, you've been doing this long enough. We do know that there's other teams probably in the SEC that are talking through back channels to folks in Nussmeyer's camp. Be like, hey, man, we love what you see there. Wouldn't you want to just be the starting quarterback for us? We know that's happening. Whether or not Garrett decides yeah. to leave is is a totally different situation. Let's talk about someone that is coming back. And we know for sure, and and that's Malik Neighbors. And I covered him a little bit in high school, saw him play. And this is a kid who didn't play a senior year in high school because the state didn't allow him to transfer to Southside. So he didn't play his senior year of high school. Originally committed to Mississippi State. Flips to LSU at the last minute. Made some contributions last year, but he has really, truly blossomed this season, Rab. Is he the number one wide receiver for this team? heading into the 2023 season? Uh, obviously, with Case Sean Butte leaving and with uh, Dre Jenkins uh, leaving, uh, you, have to, you have to say yes. I mean, hey, that, was, that was a show he put on yesterday. Again, not against the greatest team in the world, uh, obviously, in, in Purdue. Yeah, that's, not, that's, that's not Alabama or Tennessee or Georgia or something like that, but, uh, but, but he, was, he was tremendous. And obviously, uh, you know, first impressions – you know, of the season, he he muffed the two punts against Florida State, which didn't end up costing LSU any points, but he did muff them nonetheless. Uh, and and he, but but boy, he came back and and, and didn't sulk and and came back and and was a, a vital part of this team. And uh, I think has a real has a real chemistry with with Daniels particularly. And yeah, I think I think he is. I mean, the good receipt now. Now, what's going to happen with Anderson coming in? The you know, the transfer from Alabama. You know he's he's a former five star. Could he uh, come in and assert himself and be the the top receiver? Certainly, but uh, you know right now on the face of it, the Malik Neighbors, who was the MVP of the bowl game yesterday, uh, looks like uh, looks like that guy. And and you're happy for for a young man like that to, to come through what he did. Obviously, he was you know surely very down on himself after the Florida State game, and to come back uh, like he did and have the season he's had is. Uh, is is really one of those great stories uh, about about the season. He's he's someone you know that I, I can't be a fan. I can't root for him, but you can root for people and, and be happy for them. And 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 you're happy for him to have the season he's had. And, 
you know, the upside, again, he's just a sophomore, right? I mean, the upside is, is tremendous for him going forward in, in, uh, in, in with this receiving core that is uh, one of the strengths of the team. Look, uh, Jenkins and, and Booty are the only guys they're probably losing on this offense. So it's, it, it's among the starters. So it's really a great situation for LSU offensively. I think it's why you can see them in the preseason top ten um, going into next season. Let's let's talk about expectations because they win ten wins. I mean, they win ten games. Win the SEC West. They beat Florida, Auburn, Alabama. Win a bowl game. Got a lot of players coming back. I know they got to you know refill the coffer, so to speak, on defense. But as you mentioned, they're going to get Mason Smith, who may be their best player. Period. He'll actually be back for next season. What should the expectations should the expectations be, Rab? In your opinion. For LSU in 2023. Well, you know it's um, you, you, you look at the schedule. You know they go to Alabama, so you know you figure Alabama is going to be good. But they lose Bryce Young and and Will Anderson. I mean they lose some very good players. Obviously they keep reloading with the great recruiting classes, but it's going to be hard to replace a Bryce Young at, at quarterback. Uh, you know you know what he did. So I, if LSU's not picked to win the West, I think they'll be picked for second. Uh, so you know top two in the West. Means that you're a college football playoff contender, uh, clearly, uh, and so I think that could be the expectation. Obviously, the big question is going to be defense. You know what? You know what? You know what, how are they going to fill those holes on defense that they that they now have? Uh, yeah, yeah. Jay Ward played yesterday, but he's leaving. Um, Mickey Garner uh, uh, left. Uh, you've had you know Ojolari and Gay and and uh, you know guys like that leave on the defensive line. So, uh, but you expect. Perkins to continue to, to blossom as a player. It's, uh, you know, I, I think the expectations are and should be high that, that Florida State game to start with is going to be very big once again. I mean, there's going to be two teams that are right around the top 10, if not in the top 10, starting the season. And uh, a loss doesn't knock you out. A loss doesn't, you know, LSU is still a contender this year, despite the fact that they lost to Florida State until they went to Texas A&M. But then you have no room for error, probably. <laughs> You're going to have to, uh, you have to probably. You know, you know, win out, and of course, you're still going to go to Alabama. But uh, they go to Ole Miss, they go to Miss State. Don't know what kind of teams those guys are going to have next year. Uh, Florida and Auburn come to Baton Rouge. LSU goes to Missouri uh, next year. So it's a schedule that, uh, generally speaking, sets up well for a team to be a contender. And I, I think that's the expectation. And Kelly said himself yesterday, if we handle our business, you know, he's talking about his team, he said they handle their business and prepare the right way, they have a chance to be a very good team. And I think very good. We all know what that means, and that means a title contender. And I think LSU should be viewed that way, considering that they won the West this year when they had no business winning the West, uh, you know, when you really look at it. We'll get you out of here with Rab. I know you were in Orlando covering the LSU bowl game, and you weren't in Dallas to witness what happened with the Tulane Green Wave, but you have covered collegiate sports, pro sports, and you've done it better than anyone. How significant is what happened in Jerry World with Tulane beating USC in the Cotton Bowl? Well, it's very significant for that for the Tulane programming. Obviously, you know, this is a program that was once part of the SEC until 1965, but this is uh, and has won some, some big games, but it's been a very, very long time. And had that undefeated season back in 1998, I think they went to the Liberty Bowl uh, that year. They didn't make anything uh, approaching uh, the, you know, the stature of the Cotton Bowl. Or beat a team the stature of, of, of USC in that bowl game, so uh, this is arguably as big a win as Tulane has uh, has ever had in football, and and it's it's just one for the little guy, isn't it? I mean, this is you know we're, we're about to embark on this new era of 
of college football with the expanded playoff. We're going to have one more season with the four teams, and then it's, it, it looks like you know 2024 is going to be the expanded playoff year uh, when they go to 12 teams, and uh, a team like Tulane will be in it every year. And look, if, if Tulane had been in this, uh, a game where you know they were playing at USC in the Coliseum in the playoff, you know, they might have had a real chance to, in that game too. This was a neutral site, is the only thing I'm saying. So I think it adds a it, it, it adds a little interesting dynamic. You know, there obviously the the big schools, the power five schools, will continue to flourish. I think, but but it, there's going to be there's more. Uh, yeah, I think the schools like Tulane and Cincinnati making the playoff last year uh, have showed that there's more of a path for schools in in the group of five uh, to be to be con- considered and to to be uh, included. And I, I think it's big for them. I mean, you know, we've seen that the last couple of years that these are schools that have to be contended with because on any given day, you know, that's a Saturday, but, you know, any given day or in any given bowl game or situation, they could they could uh, shock you. And are we going to see a, a school like Tulane win, you know, go through all the way through the playoff and win three games and win the national championship? I don't I still don't think so, but they could they could be a kingmaker. That, that's for sure. And they also beat K State, the Big Twelve champ, during the regular season too. So, what, yeah. what, what, what a season for Willie Fritz and and the the boys down there in New Orleans, brother. Appreciate your time as always. Happy New Year to you and your family, my friend. And we'll talk to you soon. Enjoy the rest of your day. Be be careful getting back home. Thank you. I appreciate it. Happy New Year to everyone. We're gonna take a timeout. Our final one of today's show. We'll wrap it up and get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. It's all coming up next right here. On the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. I want to take a moment to thank our guests for helping us get things started on this huh, shortened week because of the holiday. Vinny Iyer from the Sporting News NFL reporter columnist, Jim Gazzolo. McNeese beat reporter for the Lake Charles American Press, also the host of the McNeese Coaches Show, and Scott Rabelais, the award-winning columnist for the Baton Rouge Advocate, talking all things LSU. Instead of a poll question of the day, we opted to do something a little bit different. We shared the link on our social media profiles of DeMar Hamlin's charity. It's a GoFundMe for essentially raising money to donate toys to underprivileged youths back in his hometown in Pennsylvania. If you'd like to, Chip in, donate, you can do so, or you know what? Just like and share the link. Spread it out there, get other people involved, and do our part to help he and his family during this difficult times. Of course, we will continue to keep he and his family in our thoughts and prayers. The Buffalo Bills safety who collided with T. Higgins last night in the Monday night football game, who suffered cardiac arrest after the hit. They had to use a defibrillator and CPR and put him in an ambulance. He remains in stable but critical condition this morning at a hospital there in Cincinnati. That's going to do it for us today. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros.